This is Innovating a Bright Future. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Avery Kreibolt, with Innovating a Bright Future, where I walk you through the innovative and revolutionary technology driving climate action and laying the foundation for a sustainable future. Let's talk about wind, micro off-grid wind in particular. Today I talked to Ken Kodalik, the Director of Global Sales at Primus Wind Power, about the uses of small wind turbines in providing remote locations with clean, simple, and emission-free electricity. Wind is the natural counterpart to solar, and we haven't talked about it much yet, so enjoy the episode. Welcome to the show, Ken Kodalik. You are the Director of Global Sales at Primus Wind Power, a company working on small wind turbines for off-grid energy production and other applications. Your company has been in the business for two decades now, over two decades now, and you have turbines all over the world. Thanks. Thanks. Great to be here. Yeah, we've been around quite a long time in the off-grid world. Uh, that's what we do, is we specialize in off-grid power. So all of our systems are coupled with solar. So that's called a hybrid system. They operate in battery charging applications. So for some ideas of markets, we have telecom, we have off-grid cruising sailboats, we have off-grid homes, off-grid security cameras, oil and gas in remote places, offshore buoys, top of uh, forest service towers, any place where it's super remote and you don't have grid-type power, that's typically where we operate. And then couple that with any place that has a pretty good wind speed. If it's got good wind and you're off-grid, oftentimes it makes sense to add a little micro-turbine to the system to provide that secondary backup power. And we've been at it for a long time. We're the largest producer of micro wind turbines in the world. We have about 175,000 units out there that have been produced over the last 25 years or so. Like you said before, on every continent, every location, there's tons of units out there. So we have the biggest footprint in terms of these little micro units. That's great. Yeah, you guys have kind of taken over that space and claimed it as your own. That's really great for the business, I'm sure. What would you say defines off-grid power? And how is that different from, say, like a microgrid? What is off-grid power and why is it so important? Most of the United States has grid-type power, right? That grid-type meaning you're connected to the utility grid. You can still have solar, but it's what's called the rooftop revolution, right? That's where they put solar, they connect it to the grid. You're spinning your meter backwards, essentially, pushing power into the grid during the day. And then at night, when there's no solar coming off your solar panels, then you're using the power from the utility grid. What we do is we specialize in places, a lot of it's not in the United States, because most of the United States homes have access to the grid. Unless you're on Native American reservations, we deal a lot with Native American, Alaska Natives, and lower 48 Native reservations that don't have power. In terms of this concept of microgrids, so a microgrid usually is a community built together that probably has access to the grid but wants to be disconnected from the grid. 
And so they build their own solar, they have their own wind systems and generator backups, and then they have their own little microgrid that's within that little community. Sometimes we work in the microgrid world, but typically our turbine is too small for that application. Typically, we work with customers who have their own off-grid battery charging system. That's the difference for us. Those microgrids are typically using turbines that are 5 or 10 kW turbines. That's a much larger turbine, 10 to 20 foot rotor diameter turbine, where our turbine is a 4 foot rotor diameter. We're a supplement to a small system for solar. So that's kind of how we differentiate. I actually just had a conversation with someone on microgrids and then comparing these two, I was kind of like, well, what's the difference there? Is it kind of the same thing or is it a little bit different? Much bigger turbines would make more sense with a microgrid. We're kind of a drop in the bucket for those microgrids. They'd have to put up, you know, 15, 20, 30 of our turbines. So you really want a larger turbine. Battery bank size that we're dealing with is, you know, somewhere between 200 and 800 amp hour battery banks. That's a relatively small battery bank compared to a microgrid battery bank, which is enormous. Well, for these applications that you've been working on, the more off-grid systems where you just need a small power supply, why wind and why wind and solar together? Wind is only applicable in cases where you have the appropriate wind resource in the appropriate site. We always say a four meters per second or greater, that's about 10 miles per hour of wind speed, is kind of a minimum requirement. And then you also want to make sure you're open to the prevailing wind direction. If you're in a site surrounded by tall trees and you can't get above those trees, wind would not be appropriate for you. And then when we say why wind and solar, often these days people don't want to run generators. Generator is by far the most expensive way to generate power. Using solar primarily with a wind turbine as a backup makes sense because solar is wonderful. We have solar in my house, but it does have a number of drawbacks. You have a certain amount of solar hours during the day, which is a lot less in the winter months, five, six, seven hours, eight hours during the day to push all that current in amps into your battery bank. And then you have the remaining 15 or 20 hours during the day that you have no input amps going into your battery bank. So that's where wind comes into play, where you have that trickle charging source. There's a lot of science out there that says it's better for your battery bank for longevity. Most lead-acid batteries don't want to be below 50% depth of discharge. Once you get below that, you really start to build up sulfation in the battery bank, which is detrimental to your battery bank. And the batteries are pretty much the most expensive part of the system. If you can keep that battery bank from really getting below that 50% depth of discharge, you're really doing your batteries a favor. When you're implementing these turbines in all your applications in general, how does the off-grid energy system actually work? We're both charging a battery. You have your loads. Your loads typically are run through an inverter. The inverter is connected to the battery, and then your inverter inverts the DC power coming out of the battery to power the loads, your laptop, your microwave, all the loads that you have in your off-grid home. Solar and wind is charging those loads. So solar has a solar charge controller below the photovoltaic cells. To takes that power from the cells, the DC power, and it sends it into the battery in the form of current and amps. We're doing the same thing. Our turbine then working very nicely simultaneously with the solar, and we send that current in amps into the battery. So you have two charging sources, both in amps, charging that to power up your load. So that's kind of how an off-grid system works. 
Typically, though, if, if you have wind and solar, if the sun isn't shining, then you're having some form of power coming in from the wind turbine, helping your batteries to stay up. That's how an off-grid system works. Right. That's one of the major drawbacks of having like solar panels is solar panels is great during the day and you can charge your batteries. But at night, if you run out of that battery, then you have no energy. The wind is blowing. That's great. Charge a battery. If not, you're in a bit of a tough situation. So combining the two when the sun isn't shining, odds are the wind is blowing. And when the wind isn't blowing, odds are the sun is shining. So they're a perfect match to complement each other for that generation. Assuming you live in a place where you have a good wind resource, that's always the key. That's really always the first question when customers call us asking about putting a wind turbine in the system. The very first question is, well, what's your wind resource? You know, And we have wind resource assessment tool that we help people to determine the wind resource at their site. And the second question then again comes, are you in a place where you can get a turbine in the prevailing wind direction without spending thousands and thousands of dollars on a tower? If you decide you want to go a hybrid system, which you're right, does make a lot of sense. You can put up whatever you want, but if you don't have the resource there to begin with, that's a bit of a problem. Right. And we run into that a lot. That's why it's important to do your due diligence, to do your homework. You know, you really need to know what you're doing when it comes to off-grid. It's, it's so popular these days. Everybody wants to go off-grid because people want to be energy independent, right? It's a great thing. I talk a lot about taking care of your batteries because your batteries can last a year or 10 years, and it really depends on how you take care of them. Not deeply discharging them. Lithium-ion batteries can be very expensive, but they will last a long time, and price has come down on lithium. They're still very expensive. So you got to know kind of what you're doing with an off-grid system, but do your homework. It's very important to kind of know what's going on when you're getting into this, I guess, because it saves you a lot of hassle in the beginning. And a lot of money. And a lot of money, too. With the wind turbines, give me a crash course on how a wind turbine works. Most turbines produce AC power, what we call wild AC, unregulated AC, and that's by the blade set turning a rotor shaft. Typically, that rotor shaft has magnets attached to it. Those magnets then rotate around uh, stator windings. Now, as those magnets rotate around the stator windings, they produce an electrical current that's called wild AC. That wild AC then goes into a rectifier block, which rectifies that wild AC into regulated DC. And that's what comes down tower out of our turbine. That regulated DC can be either 12, 24, or 48 volt, depending on the rectifier we use. All right, let's look at this a little bit more. I talked to Eric Myers from Turntide Motors a few weeks ago, and now I want to talk about rotational energy. As Eric said in that episode, electric motors consume about half of the global electricity, which is a lot. What may surprise you, though, is that the vast majority of electricity production also uses rotational energy. Coal plants, natural gas plants, nuclear plants, and generators that run on any kind of fuel operate on what is basically an inverse motor. This inverse motor is called a generator. Generators are usually operated in one of two ways. Either the fuel, being coal or natural gas, is burned, which turns water within the device into steam. The steam turns a turbine, which creates electrical current by rotating magnets in a generator. Sound familiar? The other way is to create rotation by an internal combustion engine, like that in small generators you might use camping, Highly explosive fuel is used to move pistons which turn a rotor shaft which creates electricity in the same way. 
The only difference between wind turbines and fossil fuel generation is where we get the rotational energy. The method of turning rotation into electricity is the same for both. That's where the generator comes in. Generators use magnets and wire coils, also called stator windings, one of which is rotating. When either one is rotating, the wires gain electrical current that can then be harnessed and channeled into direct current electricity. I'm not going to go into why rotating magnets and wires create electrical current, because you know what, I have no idea and it's way beyond what my brain can understand. So that's the difference. Instead of burning harmful fuels to generate rotation for electricity, wind turbines simply use the natural movement of air. Because there's less transfer of energy from fuel to heat to water to steam, wind turbines also have a much simpler energy flow and have less opportunity along the way to lose energy through any of those processes. As you push that regulated DC in the form of current and amps into the battery, a couple times a second, we're looking at battery bank voltage, right? And as soon as that battery bank voltage reaches a, what we call the regulation voltage set point, then the turbine shuts down and that's called regulation. For like a 12 volt system, it's 14.1 volts because you don't want to overcharge, boil your battery. When the turbine drops about five or 10% below that 14.1 volts, then it automatically starts back up again. Our unit are just called bulk chargers, right? They turn on or they turn off. Some turbines out there are what are called MPPT turbines or maximum power point tracking turbines, and they have different ways to finesse charge. But what we do is we specialize in getting that battery bank up to a the certain voltage, 14.1 in our case, and then we shut down. And then we allow the solar, because our systems are always coupled with solar, the solar will then do all the finesse charging, the float, the absorb, all those other charging modes that solar is so accustomed to. And the reason why is because solar is a really consistent charge, right? The sun comes out for, you know, four, five, six, seven hours a day. The solar charge controller can set an absorb or a float voltage and just keep pushing current into the battery bank at that particular voltage. But wind is so variable. Wind can go from 5 miles an hour to 15 miles an hour in 3 seconds. It's so variable that it's hard for a wind turbine, ours or anybody else's, to really have a nice consistent float or absorb charge. That's typically what you see is you have the turbine doing the bulk charging and the solar supplementing with the charging modes that it does to make the two systems integrate really nicely. First of all, wind turbines use regulation and solar panels use charge controllers which operate in pretty much the same way. They slow down the flow of electricity into the batteries so that they don't become overcharged and damaged. Ken mentioned that his turbines are bulk chargers. They're on or they're off and will charge a battery at maximum speed until the regulator tells it to shut off. The difference between Primus turbines and more advanced turbines and solar panels is that those often have other options. The first is trickle charging, which is basically just slower bulk charging. The second is float charging, and float charging is maintaining a certain battery capacity. The charger will turn on at a certain point in order to maintain the charge of the battery at a certain level. For example, it might turn on at 95% to keep the battery as close to 100% charged as possible. The last mode is absorb. When the battery capacity gets quite high, around 85%, Resistance to further charging increases, and the charging source, either solar panels or more advanced wind turbines, then increase the amount of energy being pushed into the batteries in order to fully charge the battery to 100%.
Solar panels are exceptionally good at adjusting the charging method because the power input from the sun is relatively constant, whereas wind is more erratic. I want to make this point because, as you say, turbines are bulk chargers, and solar is a little bit more finesse, but that's mostly based on software. The setup of solar panels is also quite simple, but turbines are a pretty simple system. You turn the blades, which turns magnets inside a generator, and that's it. You have electricity. If you compare that to a coal plant where you have to burn the coal to make steam to turn a turbine, and then that turbine generates electricity, there's a lot more potential for energy loss there. I think that's a really good comparison to draw in why, in general, renewable resources like solar and wind, and solar is similar, it's a very simple transfer of energy, albeit not as simple as wind, but when you compare the turbine process to something like coal, there's so much more potential for energy loss. Yeah, especially across the 100 miles or 200 miles it takes to get that power from the power plant to the actual home. There's a lot of energy loss just in that process, the transmission lines. I do want to come back to something you said. Actually, solar is even simpler. It's electrons across a grid. It's very, very simple, low maintenance. You know, That's why most of our systems that we work with are 80 or 70% solar, and then they just have the wind as a supplement. It, any rotating mechanical device is going to add some complication and maintenance and so on. But generally speaking, you know, you're right. You got magnets, you got copper windings pretty simple. There are turbines out there that are obviously bigger than ours generally that tend to be more sophisticated. They can do more of that finesse charging that we were talking about, active blade control where they can slow the blade set down or increase the speed of the blade set depending on how they turn it in and out of the wind. But what we do is we try to keep it very simple. We have a fixed blade set on a hub and it works really well and has for 25 years. It's a simple system, but it works well. And that simplicity, I'm sure, helps with customers, too. Instead of having to feed a generator and make sure that it's going at the right speed, generating enough power, all you have to do is make sure that you don't overload the batteries. And most of that is autonomous. Yeah, it's all autonomous. Turbine has a regulation voltage that shuts off when the battery bank is full, and it turns on when the battery bank gets below that regulation voltage set point. One of the big differences in our turbine is we decided to keep the power electronics in the nacelle. Nacelle is the body of the turbine that's inside of the turbine itself. Ah, power electronics. That sounds scary and cool. Well, kind of. Power electronics are simply everything in between the energy source and the destination of that energy. In the case of Primus wind turbines, the power electronics that Ken is talking about could include the regulator to prevent battery damage, like we talked about earlier, the rectifier block that is simply a device that turns AC power into DC power, the opposite of what an inverter does, and if you want to learn more about inverters, check out the episode I did with Jesse Lane. Power electronics also includes all the background circuitry, wiring, monitors, sensors, and breakers. Primus has contained all of those components in the head of the turbine, which simplifies the customer's use and reduces the distance that the less efficient wild AC must travel before it's converted into the proper DC current. Power electronics and energy conversion processes are one of the ways that electrical systems are constantly improving, as new processes and materials used reduce the wasted energy when electrical current undergoes power electronics processes.
And so what comes down tower is basically three wires, a positive, a negative, and a ground, which can feed directly into the battery bank. It's very simple. That's one of the benefits of our system is there's no down tower controller. It's all up tower inside the nacelle. With it being so simple like that, what are the technologies and innovation that's driving wind power to be better? Are there any, or is it kind of a mature technology? You know, just like anything, just like solar or us, we're always trying to drive for a more efficient system. You know, trying to get the most power in the wind that you can is always key. The most challenging thing for wind power companies and us especially is you want a turbine that works well in the low wind speeds. That's called cut-in speed, you know, which currently is about seven, eight miles per hour of wind. You know, our turbine is a three-bladed turbine. There's turbines out there that are five, seven, nine blades that maybe have a little lower cut-in speed, you know, say four or five miles per hour, but they're still not producing hardly any power. It might be spinning, but it's pushing milliamps. Now, that's not really usable amps for somebody who's drawing power off-grid. Then you also have to couple that with the fact that you're going to have 60, 70, 80 mile per hour wind speeds at times. So if you have a nine-bladed turbine, how are you going to hold back a 70, 80 mile per hour wind? That's why we chose the three-bladed design that a lot of turbines out there are three-bladed for that very reason. It's a nice balance between low wind and high wind speeds. And it's really, really, really difficult to do that. And make it affordable. Solar is so cheap right now. You're seeing prices of solar at, you know, 40, 50, 60 cents a watt. When I started in this business, solar was $9, $10 a watt. The cost of solar is really what makes it challenging for wind turbine companies like ourselves to make sure we put out a really high quality product, a reliable product, but we're also not busting the bank for somebody to say, you know what, I'll just buy more solar. Our turbine is about a thousand bucks. You start getting much above that cost, then folks, even in good wind resources, are going to say, why do it? I'll just add more solar so I can have more days of autonomy when there's no sun. So that's the challenge really for a wind turbine company these days is how do you make a better product without it costing that much more for the consumer? Finally, the federal government has come around to saying, well, maybe we should try to sponsor the renewable energy industry to try to forward the momentum of this technology so that the manufacturers like us can do it affordably without it costing a ton of money for the consumer. That's a tough balance to strike in general, and especially when you compare it with how fast and how cheap solar is coming online, it's really hard to compete there. So what do you see for the future of wind? How is wind going to look in three decades? Is it going to be widespread? Is it going to be more centralized or more distributed? And is it going to be a big player in the energy market of the future? We are the remaining small wind turbine manufacturer in the U.S. In our category, micro turbine under 1,000 watts, we really are the last player. We don't have any really U.S. competition other than solar, of course. I do see wind playing a factor because there will always be places where the wind resource is very good and you want to utilize that wind. For markets where people want to display their renewable energy prowess, businesses, corporations, everybody notices a wind turbine. You know, the educational market, we see telecom as a good market for us because their telecom towers are typically on mountaintop sites where they have good wind. They're often remote sites. There'll always be sites where you can't get grid power to. So I see off-grid wind viable in the future. 
it's tough competing with solar. We'll always be challenged with solar, but solar has those limitations that we talked about before. They're always going to need that secondary charging source. Unfortunately, grid-tie wind is more challenging, but there is that same hybrid concept as we develop more and more of these big, huge solar arrays across the country. We're going to need some supplement at night. That's why wind turbines, these industrial-scale wind turbines, are going to be useful. I also see industrial-scale offshore wind as being really one of the things that's up and coming because you can uh, produce a much larger offshore industrial-scale turbine be in that four or five megawatt range, much larger blade set. The terrestrial turbines, Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas turbines, you really have the limitation of what you can get on a truck, the maximum link blade set that you get on a truck because you're going cross country. But for offshore, put a huge blade set on a barge, right? There's no limitations for how long that blade set can be on a barge. And also the typical population centers are along the coast. You need more power along the coastline On the water, you you tend to have more consistent wind as well. So there's a lot of advantages to that offshore wind. So yes, the answer to your question is yes, I see wind, not only off-grid wind, but grid-tie wind being viable going forward in specific application. I don't think we're going to see wind in residential neighborhoods because there's just too many drawbacks, right? There's too much turbulence. Typically, those neighborhoods don't have very good wind resources. So you're not going to have wind on rooftops. But you're going to have wind in farms. You're going to have wind in places where wind makes sense. That's really what we're trying to, as an industry, we're trying to get to. Where does wind make sense? Let's put it there. Solar will be by far the leading renewable source out there, but wind will be a player as well. I'm glad you touched on the offshore wind piece because that's actually one of my my favorite kind of prospects for the future. It just seems to line up so well with the natural resources that are out there, the wind speed out in the ocean is far superior than anything here. Turbines can be bigger, and it also serves the people that are going to need it the most. As you said, the coastal cities are the biggest cities. So if we can use offshore wind for things like that, that's going to be perfect. It's exciting. A lot of cool stuff happening, a lot of exciting things in the future. We just got to have the political will to, to get there, you know? It really is. It's so cool to see the big production going on in Europe, in Germany, in Norway of their big wind farms. It's so cool to see the small scale distributed off grid things like your guys's turbines that are on like the research center in Antarctica. It's just all so interesting and it's crazy that we don't hear about it as much as we should. More stuff like this, the better. Yeah, exactly. That's the point. All right. Well, I think that's about all the big questions I have for you. I have a couple of quick ones I want you to answer as fast as you can. Can you do that? Sure. All right. My first question is, if you're going on a vacation, where are you going? The beaches, the mountains, or somewhere else? Beaches for sure. I'm with you on that one. Next question is nuclear energy, yes or no? Yes. Rate the importance of energy and consumer awareness from 1 to 10. 1 being consumer awareness doesn't really matter. 10 being people need to know about this now. 10. Oh, wow. That's surprisingly high. Okay. 
Most people flip on a switch in their home, including my family, my kids, even though I'm in this business and have been for many years, and they you know, have very little clue about where that power is coming from. You need to be aware of how the energy is produced and where it comes from and amount of carbon emissions into the atmosphere. It's critical to know that. Yeah, that's a great point. I definitely agree with that. It's very rare that anyone puts that out there, that it's so important. People know it's important, but it's, it needs to be even more important than it is. Next question, just in general, solar or wind? Well, wind, of course. I'm a, I'm a wind turbine manufacturer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I if could guess that one. Yeah, if you're in the if you're in the um, if you're in the right resource and you have appropriate wind, wind makes a lot of sense, especially if you love it as much as I do. All right, last question. Given what you're seeing as the part of the energy transition and global kind of electrification, do you think that we can decarbonize energy and reach carbon neutrality by 2050? Yes. I think if we have the political will, more people like you and me are out there, you know, spreading the good news of solar, wind, and all the different technologies we have, more electric vehicles. I, th- I think we can get there. And it's, it's only 2021, you know, that's 29 years. If we can't get there in 29 years, we're going to have even bigger problems with global warming and global climate change and all these things. So absolutely, 2050, I'd like to get there sooner. Yeah, that's great to hear. That's our goal, but, you know, it doesn't hurt to get there any faster for sure. Is there somewhere that people can find you and Primus Wind Power to learn more about this? Yeah, I would say anybody's interested in this should go to our website, primuswindpower.com, go to the support tab, go to watch a webinar, and you'll see a number of recorded webinars about wind and solar and how a system works. Under the general product overview, there's a, there's a couple webinars right there that are fairly short. We'll really give you a good overview of off-grid power, how solar and wind work, how, you know, through a charge controller and into the batteries. You really need an overview of that. And it also gives you a little bit of tutorial on Wind 101, just siting and how to determine a wind resource and all that good stuff. Before you start calling us up <laughs> um, or calling anybody up, you know, take that webinar to, to, so you can ask, ask intelligent questions and be a little bit educated. I'm sure that's going to serve a lot of people very well. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Ken. This has been great. It's been very informative. I really appreciate your time, taking the time to come on and spread that message and the technology of wind in general and your optimism for the future. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Look forward to hearing the podcast when uh, we're all done. That was a great conversation with Ken Kodalik, Director of Global Sales at Primus Wind. And I'm glad he could come on because season one of the show focuses very heavily on solar power and sometimes wind gets left out. So I'm very grateful to him for lending his time to the show. Wind is a big deal, both centralized and off-grid, and most of all, offshore wind. Throughout the coming years, I really believe that wind will become even more closely partnered with solar and eventually, when 100% renewable energy starts to come into view, it's going to be dominated by that powerful duo. I'll put links to Primus's website and their webinar, along with a short video on power electronics to learn more, in the show notes below, and follow the show socials to stay up to date. 
I hope after this episode you understand a bit more about wind power and it's just a little bit cooler to you. One thing I find is that just through learning about these technologies that they become so much more interesting to me personally. If you like this episode, share it with one person along with your favorite moment and get them to listen to it. We're always trying to get the show out there more and more. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Stay innovative, and I'll see you on the next one.